Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash FPX. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS. Welcome to this Peer Voice activity on type 2 diabetes. This activity comprises a series of six streaming episodes with Professor Donna Ryan. Hello, everybody. I'm Donna Ryan, Professor Emerita at the Pennington Biomedical Research Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We've really come a long way in the management of type 2 diabetes. We have more tools than ever to help our patients not only achieve normal A1C status, but to also prevent cardiovascular disease. And yes, even manage their weight. In the next episodes, we're going to focus on solutions and strategies for our patients with type 2 diabetes throughout the disease continuum. I'd like to begin by talking about the American Diabetes Association, ADA, Standards of Medical Care. This is updated annually, and in 2022, something changed. And that is, you know, our ordinary approach to uh, managing glycemia in patients is we always start with the basics, and that is, that is a good lifestyle intervention and metformin. But for the first time, minimizing weight gain and promoting weight loss has gotten more and more emphasis by the ADA. And if you look carefully at the, at the guidelines for better glycemic control in patients with diabetes, you see that the preferred treatment are the GLP-1 receptor agonists with good weight loss efficacy or an SGLT2 inhibitor. So the first line therapy has always been comprehensive lifestyle intervention and metformin, but more than ever, we are acting earlier to help our patients achieve a more weight-centric approach to their diabetes management. And the GLP-1 nod to this favored status is something we all need to pay attention to. And the reason we need to pay attention to it is that all too often, we've had a certain degree of complacency about upping our approach to glycemic regulation. So if you look at this analysis of median time to treatment intensification, you can see that in most cases, it's over a year, even when the A1C is higher than seven or eight or even nine. So the only time, the only times that, that uh, treatment intensification adding another anti-diabetic agent was used for less than a year was when the hemoglobin A1C was 8 to 8.9 or greater than 9. And that was still four-tenths of a year to seven-tenths of a year, far too long. We need to not be complacent. We need to uh, act because normal glycemia should really be our target. Not just an A1C less than 7, but an A1C less than 5.7%. Uh, so prediabetes is 5.7 to 6.5. We make the, the diagnosis of diabetes at 6.5 for the hemoglobin A1C. And our target is less than seven. But we really need to try to get to patients to normal glycemia. That's 5.7% A1C. And the reason for that is in this prediabetes state, hemoglobin A1C 5.7 to 6.5, the, 
those patients are still at risk for cardiovascular disease progression. It's lower than established type 2 diabetes, but it's still there. So if you look at this study, it shows the cardiovascular disease consequences of delayed treatment. In this study, it was a large cohort of over 100,000 patients uh, analyzed from the electronic health records in Great Britain. And what it showed is that um, patients who were newly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and followed out for five years, if those patients did not get a second oral medication or insulin added in one year, they not only had higher A1C over the course of the follow-up period, but they also had significantly increased cardiovascular events. So we need to be more proactive and act sooner in our newly diagnosed patients with type 2 diabetes with a goal of better glycemic management. When we treat weight in addition to glycemia, what we're doing is we're treating all of the other complications that are, that are traveling with type 2 diabetes. The obstructive sleep apnea, the dyslipidemia, um, the pro-inflammatory status, the hypertension, Weight loss treats all of these. And so if we can get patients earlier in the course of their diabetes before those comorbidities or complications become established, our, patient, our patients will have a, a much better long-term outcome. So when we treat obesity, we're treating all of these factors. We're moving patients upstream in that diabetes continuum. Now, um, the debate is over. It is time for action to ensure that our patients with diabetes at high cardiorenal risk receive the benefits of GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors through the collaboration of practitioners involved in their care. So here's the problem, complacency. I think if we're going to be effective in better management of our of our patients with type 2 diabetes, there are windows of opportunity. And those windows of opportunity are when patients are younger, when they have less complications from their type 2 diabetes. It's when they have less duration of diabetes because they're more likely to have some residual beta cell function. And if we can use weight management as a pathway to better diabetes management and better risk factor management, we can move patients upstream in the course of their disease, and thus the long-term outcomes will be much better. So why is it that we're, we're not doing this now? What, what, are the, what are the issues around our complacency? We'll be discussing that in episode two. Hello, everybody. In this episode, we'll meet a woman who's just been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. So Amelia is 48 years old. During a recent checkup, her hemoglobin A1C was 7.2%. She's been in the pre-diabetes range for the last two years. Both of her parents have type 2 diabetes. Her father had an MI at age 62, established cardiovascular disease. Her mother has obesity and kidney disease. Amelia has a lot of living left to do. She's a single mother of two girls, age eight and 15, and she works as a nurse. She has had experience, a firsthand experience with the, the adverse 
outcomes of type 2 diabetes. And this is something I see in my patients. Patients have seen relatives have go on dialysis, have a loss of vision, um, amputations, heart attacks, strokes. And I think when you're a caregiver for members of your family who've had complications of diabetes, it's pretty easy to get motivated to get your diabetes under control and to stop thinking of diabetes as simply a chronic disease. Amelia says this, if I'd been able to lose weight, I wouldn't have type two diabetes. I tried everything and nothing worked. I'm afraid I'll end up like my mother. This is the window of opportunity. We can talk to Amelia about how her overall course of diabetes could be improved by intervening now with a weight-centric approach. And if we can get 15% weight loss in Amelia, we're likely to see her diabetes go into remission. We're likely to see that upstream path for her type 2 diabetes. Okay, so when we focus on, on weight management as the strategy for better diabetes management, we want to know uh, we want to know what is the current weight and does the patient understand setting a goal and what that goal ought to be. Um, so talking through um, the issues is very important. And when we're talking to her about weight, we're not talking about her body size. We're talking about her body health. We have to approach this as a health issue. So what we're going to be doing is talking to Amelia about making some changes around diet and physical activity that are going to be aided by one of the medications that we prescribe. Amelia has to understand that the medication is not going to be working by itself. She's going to be working with it and she's going to have better outcomes in her intentions to follow a better lifestyle program. So setting the goal is the first step. So when we're thinking about Amelia and her weight loss, and we, what we will want to do to hit that 15% weight loss, that's a one-year goal. We'll want a shorter goal, and that goal would be 5% in 12 weeks, 10% at six months. Those are what I'm thinking. So I'll convert that into pounds for talking to Amelia so that we're on the same page with that goal. And I'll tell her about the trajectory of weight loss she's likely to expect. So... She needs to understand the medication I'm prescribing. I want her to be on a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And I want her to be making changes to her lifestyle to aid in that weight loss. I want 5% weight loss by um, 12 weeks, 10% by 24 weeks, and 15% by one year. So many times patients with established type 2 diabetes have had some lifestyle education. And, then, and when, we, when we embark on a new weight loss effort, we should give them a refresher course. But for Amelia, this is a new effort. And I'm going to send her to a RD or CDE, especially one who's been trained in weight management, because that is the key, making lifestyle changes along with these medications that work through appetite to help patients better adhere to their dietary goals. So let's see what happens in our next episode where we're going to be talking about how patient preferences matter.
Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three, where we'll meet a man with type 2 diabetes who has a lot of concerns. Our patient is Dev. He is uh, 63 years old, and he's been under your care for management of type 2 diabetes and obesity, and he wants an evaluation for bariatric surgery. He's had prediabetes diagnosed at age 45, type 2 diabetes at age 52, his BMI is 38, his current weight 280 pounds. He has hypertension and dyslipidemia. So um, Deb is very eager to lose weight and he wants to undergo bariatric surgery. Look, if Deb is going to undergo bariatric surgery, he has a lot of work to do to get in better shape. His blood pressure needs to be better pre-op. His LDL cholesterol can be improved pre-op, and his triglycerides should be reduced. Um, with this degree of obesity, it would also be beneficial to clear some of the intra-abdominal adipose tissue prior to bariatric surgery. And even though he has bariatric surgery, he's going to have to get used to taking medications and to remember to take his medications. Here's what Dev says. I don't like needles, so insulin or other drugs are not an option for me. I can't remember to take all these pills either. I've seen other people go off all their medications after weight loss surgery, eat what they like, and enjoy life. That's what I want. Well, Deb, I don't like eating needles either. I like pins, and I like patches, and I'm going to discuss both of those with you. You know... Um, Dev is not a good candidate right at this moment for bariatric surgery. I think he has a rosy picture of what it is. And so the first step in educating Dev about bariatric surgery is to send him to a class where he meets with a bariatric surgeon and the bariatric surgery team and other patients who are interested in bariatric surgery and understands the ins and outs of, of surgery. Um, we also need to look at what, uh, what, what his current medications are to see if we can't get some improvement with what we're working with now. He's having some side effects of metformin. I would stop that. I want to get Deb on a, on a GLP-1 receptor agonist, either an oral one or, a, or one that's given with a pen. And so I'm going to stop that sulfonylurea. So... This is uh, just the beginning of what I would do with Deb. I'm going to start off by making some changes to his established medications, get him in line for learning about bariatric surgery, educate him about what GLP-1 therapy actually looks like. We do have, we have options that are oral, and we also have pins. These pins are not the needles that Deb is thinking of. And I'm going to show him a pin and I'm going to invite him to use the pen. <laughs> but before we get on with Dev's case, let's talk in our next episode about how we really initiate and try titrate those GLP-1 receptor agonists. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode four. In this episode, we're going to review some practical strategies for initiating and titrating GLP-1 receptor agonists. Here are our keys to success. So let's go back to Amelia. She was our newly diagnosed patient 
with type 2 diabetes, the nurse who had two daughters and was anxious not to repeat her family history. So we discussed GLP-1 receptor agonists with Amelia, and she's excited about the potential to gain control of her type 2 diabetes in terms of glycemia and risk factors, and also get, gain control of her weight. So here are our uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists. We start low and we titrate up, upward. Um, and again, we can get robust weight loss and improvements in A1C. Semaglutide is also available orally. So it's not just simply popping a pill. You must take it on an empty stomach with only four ounces of water and you must wait 30 minutes before eating anything else. Again, we're gonna start low on our dose and escalate for each of these. These pins are not intimidating, and I think it's our duty to show patients the pins for what they are. They have a tiny, almost hidden, 25-gauge needle. It's nothing to be afraid of, and they're given only once a week. So here are the keys to success. We're gonna titrate slowly, start low and go slow. Have the patient select a a regular day for their weekly injection. Um, and then patients need to know how the drugs work. The drugs are gonna work through appetite to help patients be satisfied with smaller meals. Let me repeat that so you can tell this to your patients. The patients are going to take the medication which works through appetite to help them be satisfied with smaller meals. And I'm gonna tell the patients to be sure to not fill your plate too full. So only put about half the food you're used to eating on your plate. And let's talk a little bit about mindfulness. Patients need to be mindful of what they're eating when they're on the GLP-1 receptor agonist. And they'll do better if they are on fruits and vegetables and not on these energy-dense, high-fat foods which promote nausea. So advise your patients about hunger and satiety and how the drugs work, the importance of mindfulness. And then, my last tip, ask the patient to incorporate daily activities and exercise into their, into their strategy. You know, it's a good way to get your mind off food. So our patient is going to start on semaglutide. We're starting at 0.25 milligrams once weekly for four weeks. Then we're increasing to 0.5 then we're gonna go up to one, and if we need to, we can go up to two. So our, I outlined a goal earlier in this patient. We're aiming for 5% weight loss in 12 weeks. I wanna see 10% weight loss in six months. I'd like to see 15% weight loss at one year. On average, we know semaglutide was associated with about nine to 10% weight loss in our diabetes trials, and it was associated with a bit more, 15 to 17% weight loss on average in our obesity trials. So I'm hopeful that we can get to 15% weight loss at one year in this patient. It's important to know that the trajectory of weight loss is prolonged. This patient is gonna lose weight for one year if it's working. If she hasn't lost at least four to 5% in 12 weeks, I'm going to either add another medication or I'm going to change her to another medication. We're going to be talking about how to avoid nausea and vomiting and how to manage it once patients get it in our next episode.
Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode five. We're going to check in on our patient, Dev, and use him as a way to discuss improving adherence to the GLP-1 receptor agonist. So here's Dev. He, is, he uh, got started on dulaglutide six weeks ago. He's complaining of persistent nausea, diarrhea, and lack of appetite. His hemoglobin A1C is already better, down to 7.6%, and he's lost uh, 20 pounds. He's down to 260 from 280. His blood pressure is also good, better, 140 over 82. But that's 7% weight loss in just six weeks. Um, so our goal with him at one year was 15% weight loss. He's already halfway there. So this amount of weight loss, I think, is more reflective of nausea and vomiting than it is of an appetite effect. And here's what Dev is telling us. I'm miserable. I lost my appetite and feel nauseated all the time. Food has no taste or appeal for me. It's great that I've lost weight and my glucose is better, but I don't know if I can live like this. Can I consider surgery now? We need to listen to Dev. You know, most of the time, uh, we only get about 6% of patients who are dropping out of the clinical trials uh, with these GLP-1 RAs uh, because of nausea and vomiting. But it is the most common reason that patients drop out, both because it makes them feel sick and because it makes them throw up. You know, so we need to pay attention to this patient. He is having serious problems. What can we do? Well, we need to find out, has he changed his approach to food. He has not significantly changed the amount and types of food he eats since starting therapy. So number one, we need to let him know how this drug works and what he should not do if he wants to avoid nausea and vomiting. And we can reassure Dev that the data would support that patients do not experience nausea and vomiting over the long term. It's almost always gone by 12 weeks. So we're listening to him. We acknowledge that he's having problems. We're going we're gonna to cut back. We're going to go back on that dose adjustment. So um, we can also try antiemetics. That's another thing that's perfectly acceptable to do this. So we're going to start with our um, least, um, least risky options first, and that is better instructions on diet and, and amount and, and quality of the diet. And encourage him to do physical activity. Let's try, um, let's try home remedies like um, ginger ale, like peppermints, um, and see if, if we can't get some improvement there. I think the most important thing for Dev to know is that we have his back and that this, we're going to help him get through, that, get through this with him. So, how I think our goal is to help him get through the 12 weeks. We're going to dose adjust the dual glutide and try to contribute, continue it. If not, we're going to switch to something else. Um, I had some other ideas about Dev, though. You know, sometimes when people start losing weight, they get into it. They like to uh, monitor their food intake, their physical activity, their weight on all of these apps that are now available on smartphones. And I encourage them to do so. And another thing I've found is that sometimes continuous glucose monitors can really put that 
mindfulness into the hands of the patients so patients can see the effect of the different meals they're having on their blood glucose. So a CGM is another idea I had from, for, for Deb. And finally, let's rethink our nutritional counseling. Um, so uh, an appointment with uh, an RD or diabetes educator, especially one who's skilled in weight management, has extra certification in weight management, is a good idea. So that, those are my plans for DEVA. I haven't give up, given up on, on getting that 15% weight loss at one year in this patient. So thanks for listening to episode five. Look forward to seeing you at episode six, where we talk about um, improving outcomes through effective combinations of diabetes therapy and talk about a patient who has more advanced disease. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our final episode. In episode six, we're gonna be talking about improving outcomes through effective combinations of diabetes therapy. And we're gonna meet a man with type two diabetes who has difficulty achieving glycemic control and who has a bit more advanced type two diabetes. Here he is, Johan, he's 60 years old. He's under your care for management of type two diabetes after ST elevation myocardial infarction. Frequently, um, individuals with diabetes who are in this overweight category will have increased visceral adiposity, and they respond just as well to weight loss as individuals who have obesity. So um, we have some room for improvement uh, there in his cardiovascular risk factors. He's, He's a candidate for secondary heart disease prevention, and we need to up our game on his risk factor control and his glycemic control. Well, the good news is that we've got guidance from the ADA about what to do here. And as you'll see, for individuals who have uh, established ASCVD, like our patient, or who have indicators of high risk for ASCVD, the recommendation is that we treat those patients with an SGLT2 inhibitor or a GLP-1 receptor agonist because we have positive cardiovascular outcome trials with, with those medications. And so they will help patients who ha- have established cardiovascular disease prevent the occurrence of their second uh, cardiovascular event. Now, um, we need to be using those medications, and fortunately, both of those classes are associated with weight loss. So here's our patient's concern. I knew I had type 2 diabetes a long time ago. I took a tablet for a while, but then stopped because I felt fine. Now that I've had a heart attack, I know I need to take this seriously. Can I go back to the tablets I used to take? So I would still look to a weight-centric approach, but I would also use our medications that have proven cardiovascular benefits in this patient with more advanced type 2 diabetes. He's not going to achieve normal glycemia on that metformin alone. We're gonna add to it. So the goals for this patient are we want his A1C less than seven, and frankly, as low as I can get it. And um, I would, uh, I would personally, uh, with an A1C starting at nine, I would add a GLP-1 receptor agonist, and an SGLT2 inhibitor. I would want this patient on both. 
I might not start them at exactly the same time, but I would plan on adding one to the other. I'd probably start out with the GLP-1 receptor agonist. So he doesn't have um, as much weight to lose uh, as, as some of our heavier patients with type 2 diabetes. But I would still want to see 10% weight loss at six months. That's about um, 20 pounds in this patient and 15% weight loss, or about 30 pounds at one year. So if he could lose 30 pounds, his weight would be 172. That's a BMI of 25.4. That's, that's good, that's excellent, it's not too low. So it's very important in our older patients that we try to preserve as much lean mass as we can. And the way to do that is weight training and weight-bearing exercise. So let me summarize our uh, episodes. Uh, we think type 2 diabetes is a chronic disease, but that doesn't mean we should be complacent about, about uh, diabetes as, as never going away. We don't have to worry about it. We can just coast along with it. We need to feel some sense of urgency early on in the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes and in our younger patients where we really strive to move patients upstream in the course of their disease. We now have access to medications, the GLP-1 receptor agonists, the GLP-1 GIP receptor agonists uh, that have robust weight effects in addition to robust effects on, uh, on hemoglobin A1C on glycemia. And when we use these medications as an aid to lifestyle intervention, we can get good weight loss in our patients and we can get lots of improvement, not only in A1C, but in all, also in all of the cardiovascular um, risk, that are, risk factors that are associated with type 2 diabetes. So it's a way of moving patients upstream in the course of their disease. But by far the most important thing in chronic disease management, any chronic disease, is to keep the patients coming back. You know, if we can, if we can keep our patients coming back, we can, we can, we can have an effect on the long-term course of that disease. So being a chronic disease doesn't mean you've got years to treat to make a decision about treating your patient. It means that you have an opportunity at multiple intervention levels to help that patient. Every time we see the patient, we need to think about what's optimal for that patient and what can I do to help that patient get there. Thank you so much for going on this journey with me. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.